0: Welcome to the Living Hope Church audio podcast. Join us weekly as Pastor Jeff Myers shares from God's Word. If you'd like more information about Living Hope Church of Dixon, California, please visit our website at livinghopedixon.com. So I hope everybody had a great Christmas and we had a really good one. It was always good. Uh, You know, I I was thinking back through some of my... um, kind of favorite Christmas memories in terms of, uh, you know, well, when you're a kid, it's all about the gifts you receive and that sort of thing. And so I'm thinking about, you know, some of my favorite gifts that I got as a kid. And there's one gift in particular that I got as a kid that probably got more playtime than any other gift. I don't even know that it was something that I asked for, but after I got it, it it became, you know, a favorite. I think one of my grandparents had given it to me. And it was, uh, if you grew up around the same time frame as me, You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about, but it was this uh, evil Knievel um, motorcycle that you would wind up, and it would just shoot across the floor. You may, anybody remember those things? Awesome. Awesome. Like, one of the greatest toys ever made by any toy maker ever. So awesome. And, uh, and I was thinking about how, I mean, I just love that toy, but one of the reasons I love that toy was not so much that it was a motorcycle that shot across the floor. It was the fact that it was evil Knievel. Like as a kid, I, I don't like if you're if you're here and you're young. I don't know that you under you, you quite get what I'm getting ready to talk about. But as a kid, uh, Evil Knievel to me was like a a real life uh, superhero. Like 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 he he just had this mystique about him that he was just one of my like real life heroes. Evil Knievel, if you don't know him. Um, was this guy that basically, he was, he was kind of, a, uh, you know, he was referred to as a daredevil. Robert Craig Knievel, Evil Knievel as, as, as everybody knew him. But he would do these uh, big spectacular stunts and, and uh, they were televised on TV. You know, he'd be in Vegas jumping over a shark tank with his motorcycle or the big one, you know, one of his big ones was he, he jumped over the Snake River Canyon uh, with his motorcycle and, and, and he, was, he would just do these incredible, incredible uh, stunts. And the, the world would just be completely like, like at that time in the seventies, um, it would, it would, everybody would be talking about, it. you know, have you heard what the stunt that evil Knievel is getting ready to do? And, and then the next day it's like, I didn't, I missed it. Did he die? You know, that sort of thing. And, and it was, he was just, his name was on the lips of, of the nation, you know, at that time, I don't know. I was trying to think if there's a modern day equivalent to that. And I'm not sure that there is, there are people who have, you know, had a little, Specials, you know, done little specials on TV, kind of, uh, you know, stunt type things, but not with the kind of lasting uh, reputation, I guess, of, of Evil Knievel. It's just uh, the way that the nation viewed him at that time, and me as a kid. I mean, it was just there was like Jesus, and then Evil Knievel. I mean, it was just like, I mean, I mean, Evil Knievel was just like amazing, right? And so to get this toy and to be able to pretend to be him was just, just awesome. I loved it. And he used to, and I used to use that, you know, we would use that term. In fact, if I would have started off today and just said, when I think, if you're around my age, and, and, and if I say the word daredevil, Evel Knievel would have been the name that would have popped into your head. I mean, because that's just, his name is so closely associated with that. That term, though, daredevil, actually is an old term. And, it, and, and, and when you, if you like getting into, like, word meanings and how they came about and why people started using using them and that sort of thing, The term daredevil actually comes from the phrase to dare the devil, to dare the devil. In other words, to do something so um, uh, risky that if you succeed at it, the devil will have lost his chance to get his hooks into you, right? To dare the devil. And so as we start this new series this week um, where we're talking about the hope of glory and what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks are kind of some so some daredevil type moments in the life of Christ, where, where he did these really big, big, big faith things, and I, Todd was—you freaked me out there for a second, buddy. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> you're fine. I didn't mean to embarrass you. I just thought I thought somebody was plotting on me for a second. So that's that's right. So anyway, um, so any, yeah, so the, the Jesus, he did. He would do these big, big, big things. And, and a lot of times involve people around him in a way, in a daredevil type of way, or, a, or a, quite literally, a, a to dare the devil type of way. Um, and the one we're going to look at this week is uh, this time when Jesus and his disciples are out on the water. Well, the disciples thought they were the only ones on the water at first, and then they found out that Jesus was out there too. Uh, turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. <clears throat> we're going to start with verse 16. Um, most of the of the gospels um, uh, relay the, the, the account of this story. Uh, John's account is probably one of the shortest accounts, and the others include a lot more details that we'll kind of get into a little bit later. Um, but this is what John tells us about this story. John 6, start with verse 16. Uh, if you're using one of the uh, Bibles in the back, it's uh, page 891. It says this, When evening came, <coughs> his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum and it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing and when they had rowed about 3 or 4 miles they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened but he said to them it's I do not be afraid and then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going now that's a very kind of calm story about what happened here but what happened here was not a calm event at all. <coughs> like I said, some of the other... I'm going to be doing this a lot, so forgive me. <coughs> a lot of the other uh, gospel writers include some details that, that John doesn't include in his story. There's, there's some uh, where they see Jesus. They're out rowing against... Them. I mean, the, the, the waves are crashing in on him. The storm has, has kicked up high. Uh, they are struggling to keep the boat from sinking. They are just rowing as hard as they can to try to get to where they're going. And just honestly, just to keep afloat. And they look out and see, walking on the water, what they first believed to be a ghost. A ghost. One of the other gospel writers says they looked and they said, I mean, they were frightened because they thought they were seeing a ghost. I don't know if you've ever seen, if you're you're one of those people that, uh, you know, believes in ghosts or if you've seen a ghost or anything like that. Or if you've seen things. I can remember when... Uh, I, I think it was like my junior year. Uh, my parents had gone out of town for I don't know three or four nights, and thought it was a great idea to leave me at home alone. And and so I, I, I remember I remember uh, you know being a, I would watch like I was big into uh, horror movies at the time, and I remember watching like all the Hellraiser movies and like at home alone, and 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 just being freaked out. And you know I'm sitting there like in my dad's recliner watching these scary movies, and and then then I'm like I got to go to the bathroom but it, i know i mean there there's probably something back there and i don't want to do the whole thing where you know i look in the mirror and wash off my face and look up and then somebody's there you know that sort of thing so so i can remember picking. we had a little lasso opso dog uh, named foofer and i picked up foofer and, and 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 literally walked through the house like this with the dog i don't know what i thought the dog was going to do for me but just walking through and, and just being like Heart racing, you know that sort of thing, and and, uh, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where something creepy has happened, where where you it just scared you to death, you know. But here the disciples are; they're out on this open. They see somebody coming toward them on the water, and they're like, "It's a ghost." <laughs> Here's the thing: there is there is a study done uh, back in the early '80s where um some pictures this is going to sound uh, it's just the it's just the story okay okay i don't mean for it to sound gross but this is just what happened okay so some pictures were taken of basically uh of uh, you know several three or four human bodies kind of intertwined uh naked okay uh blurred out the you know the the naughty bits and you know that sort of thing and 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 they so they had these pictures of these human bodies all entwined up, and they showed them again, blurred out the naughty bits, but they showed these pictures to toddlers it's, not, it's a horrible, horrible experiment, okay, but these these social scientists or whatever they were that you know that did this, they showed these pictures to toddlers, and the toddlers could not figure out what they were looking at. In fact, most of the toddlers guessed that what they were looking at was a bunch of dolphins, right? why? Because they had no frame of reference for what they were seeing. Their mind had not prepared them for anything that they would be seeing in that picture. And so, <coughs> excuse me, so their mind came up with the best guess that they could come up with for what it was that they were looking at. And the same thing I think is true of the disciples here in this situation. There was nothing about anything that had happened in any of these guys' life that would prepare them for what they saw that night rowing out in the storm on the sea, seeing a man walking on the water coming towards them. Nothing could have prepared them for that. Nothing. They had zero frame of reference, so they did what only they could possibly do, which was to guess and decide. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. And then as Jesus walks closer to them. Now, Let's not gloss over the fact that Jesus was walking on water. All right? There's been very few people in human history that have done that. <laughs> I think the list is one. well, Actually, two. For a brief moment, two. I think more, his was more like he stood on the water. He didn't actually walk, right? So the first, Jesus is walking towards them on the water. Somehow he's able to make this work because he's God. And he blows their minds and blows every preconceived no- notion about what is possible completely away by doing this thing. They can't believe what they're seeing, they, they just can't, they cannot believe it. What I want to challenge us to uh, over the next few weeks is a, is a kind of faith that for some of you comes really natural to you. And for, if, and for people like me, um, not so much you have to make a conscious decision to have this kind of faith <coughs> it has you have to see the world in ways that maybe you're not comfortable seeing the world you have to look at the world in such a way that it's possible to see a man walking on water instead of just a ghost out on the water and when i'm talking about the the kind of the, the kind of big faith i'm talking about who here believes we serve a big God? Anybody? Serve it like a crazy big God, right? Yeah, we do. I mean, he, he's big. Elsie, um, it just it just hit me that we didn't do announcements and stuff. We'll do, we'll get it later. Sorry about that. <laughs> so um, we do. We serve a crazy, crazy big God. But I think we often live our lives in such a way that it would appear as if the God we serve is very, very small. Very small. Like when you, when I was in the Army um, in basic training, I remember one day we did this exercise. If you've been through basic, you may remember a similar exercise, but it was basically like a, a structure about the size of a, of a five-story building and just kind of platform and platform and platform up kind of five stories. And we had to climb up to the top, which, and I'm, I got a thing with heights, you know, so I'm a little frightened and, and by a little, I mean a lot. And so I'm up there and, and then (coughs) underneath each platform about, about, I don't know, a couple of feet, foot and a half or so is a two by four stretched across the length of the platform. And what the, what we were supposed to do was lay down on our belly on the platform, grab that two by four underneath us and let gravity flip ourselves over onto the next flip, next platform. No harnesses, no, you know, carabiners, no nothing. Just up there, grab the plank, let yourself fall, flip down to the next platform. And so I watched guy after guy after guy in front of me do this and and see that nobody is falling to their death, but I'm con- absolutely convinced I will be the exception to that rule. <coughs> <coughs> and so I lay down on my belly. I, I believe I was, if not the last, the next to last one. And... Um, and grab hold of that that board and and try to will myself. Oh, everything in my brain is screaming out to me, this is a stupid, stupid idea. Do not do this. And I'm trying to will my body against everything my brain is shouting at me, right? And so it took a while. There was a lot of waiting and drill sergeant screaming and all kinds of stuff going on. But I, eventually I finally... Flipped myself over, and, and once I did it that first time and, and hit that you know that platform below me, then the next ones were much easier. But I had to actually go through that experience before, before I could get over everything mentally my my brain was telling me it, it was it was It was absolutely um, kind of horrifying to me, absolutely horrifying. And what I want you to do is to open yourself up to God-sized possibilities. When we live our lives, there is a, um, you know, if you kind of kind of get in, into, into the flow of this world and, and our society and things like that, there are things that we are taught from a very early age that are acceptable and normal. <laughs> and then there are things that are outside of that norm that if we, if we venture outside of kind of the natural flow of society become really scary. And if it's not scary for you in the moment, everyone around you will try to convince you that it is scary uh, because you are like that one fish swimming against the current, right? And so what I want you to do is begin to entertain God-sized possibilities. This is what I believe and what I've come to believe over the years. And it took, like I said, it took me a lot of years to get to this point. It's not something that comes natural. The kind of big faith is not something that comes natural for me. But I, want to, I decided several years ago, I want to be the type of guy who, who lives big faith. I want to be the type of guy who, who believes big faith ideas. Um, the last pastor, I, I've told, shared this with you many times before, but when, um, when I was interviewing for the role of pastor here at Living Hope, <coughs> and the elders and Nancy uh, had, had gathered around, they were kind of the search committee and had, had gathered uh, you know, with me to interview me and uh, you know, they asked me uh, at one point, asked me some sort of question about my philosophy of ministry and what kind of things I would do. And uh, it's a tricky question to answer. Cause I don't believe there's any cookie cutter church. I don't believe what worked in one church will necessarily work in a different church and you know, that sort of thing. I think it, and so I tried to answer it the best as best I could, but, but as I was answering kind of what my philosophy of ministry and what church should look like, what I found, I had this kind of light bulb moment. Um, where, you know, for all these years previous, you know, 15 years prior to this that I had been in ministry, it was a pretty, you know, a regular, at least for me, kind of a struggle in a lot of these places that God had me serving. And there were many times over that 15 years that I would ask, God, why is it that you, why why is it that you have me here? You know, what what's, this is obviously, you know, or at least like it felt to me, and I'm sure it probably felt to the, the people of those churches too, it just didn't feel like a good fit. Uh, whatever else, and and I, it's just a lot of pain and struggle and conflict and things like that, and and, I, and and I can just remember crying out to God, you know, why why is it that you have have me in this place? What is it that? And So as I'm I'm sitting in this interview with with the elders and and uh, the search committee, <coughs> and I start kind of sharing what my philosophy of ministry was. As I get about halfway through that spiel, I have this light bulb moment where I realize I'm in a lot of ways, regurgitating a lot of the lessons that were taught to me by the pastors I had served under for 15 years. And it was like, in that moment, it was, oh, okay, and now every, everything seems to make sense. It's like, now I know why you had me go through some of those things you had me go because you were preparing me for this moment. You were preparing me for this task. And when we step out and, and live big faith, and open our mind to God-sized possibilities in our life. What we'll what we'll learn is that oftentimes struggles are preparation for what God has coming up next. It's not about you know, we say it all the time. It's not about you. It's not about you know because we get very self-centered, very self-focused, and why God? Why are you doing this to me? And really, in that moment, it's not so much about you as, as about as it is about God's ultimate plans for your life or maybe even somebody else's life or whatever else. It's not, it's about him. It's not about us. And when we realize that we serve a God who is capable of God-sized things, um, that is a game-changing moment. And I used to be one of those people that would stand back and look at other Christians and other churches and wonder why does it seem like God is moving in really big and oftentimes miraculous ways everywhere around me or at a lot of places around me, but never in my life or the work that I'm doing. And then it, the, the pastor that I served with before I came here, uh, some of you have met him, Joe, Joe Wilson. Um, he's, he's been here a couple of times. It was through that experience of serving with him that the thing I got from him was big faith. I had never worked with a guy who had as big a faith as Joe Wilson had. I mean, he would just believe ridiculous things, that God was going to do, like, absolutely ridiculous things, and then they would just happen. Like, it didn't, it, like things that didn't even make sense. I remember one time we, we, put, up, we put on this event, we would do it every year, um, we called it God and Country. And, and this is just one example. This, there were multiple things like this in, in Joe's ministry. But, but we, it was a big fireworks event. We had a, a connection with a guy who would do big fireworks things all over the country. And, and, uh, and so if we would wait till the, the weekend after the 4th of July, he would put on a severely discounted, like, top-notch fireworks show for us. And so w- at the time we're going to a church that's like 120 people, 120 people. And, we, and he, Joe's got this dream. I, I want us to put on an event. The thousands of people will come to and and a lot of people around joe would say we're just 120 people we can't staff anything like that What what, what are you thinking And a lot of people would say why can't we just have a fireworks show just for us why does it got to be for the whole county i mean what, what what you know what's and so joe was kind of that fish swimming upstream saying no no god's given me this vision i want to do this and so the first year they they did it you know they're it there, there was basically our church. I, I know, a few more, a couple hundred people showed up. The next year, about you know or 500 people showed up. The next year, uh, we had about 800 people show up. The next year, we had 3,000 people show up. The next year, uh, we had uh, about 12,000 people show up. That was my last year in, in Missouri. 12,000 people show up, and our church still had not grown that much. We had, <laughs> this is how woefully under, underprepared we were for this type of movement of God that, you know, the youth group would sell drinks to, to raise money for the youth group at this event. And so we had the Coke company, the local Coke company, bring out one Coke trailer for us for 12,000 people. 12,000 people. I mean, the line was just ridiculous, and everybody still had a pretty— I mean, it was, we, we did it for free for the community and all that kind of stuff, but it, it was just a big, huge day. The year after I left, they moved the event to a different location to the local airport. 25,000 people showed up, 25,000 people, like, for a church of 120, 150 people, that, and, 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 and I remember, I remember the night we had the 12,000 show up, and Joe and I were out in this field kind of cleaning things up, and, and, and trying to process everything, and, and I, so I looked at Joe, and I was like, how do you feel? He said, uh, he said, I feel like the kid who brought Jesus the five loaves and two fishes, I feel like Jesus took something that we tried to give him and just blew it up in ways that we couldn't even imagine, you know, seeing coming. And it was, it was through that experience with working with him that I would, and like I said, I had never been a big faith guy. I, I would believe in the things that I could see happening. You know what I mean? I would believe that God could do what made sense in my mind that God could do. And really what that means was I would believe that God could do whatever I thought I could do. My faith was not God-sized. My faith was only Jeff-sized. If it made sense that I could pull that off, then God was capable of that. But For whatever reason, I had never been around people who believed that God could actually do what God says he could do. Big things. God-sized things. And I decided in that moment, I want, to, I want to have God-sized faith. And for a person who does not naturally have God-sized faith to decide, I want to have God-sized faith, some things have to happen. And mainly it is you have to start placing your faith in God and his ability rather than you and your own ability. Like we're we're a pretty smart group of people here. And what we can accomplish, I think, is actually pretty big. I think that our church can accomplish a lot of really great things. I think what you could accomplish in your own life um, is, is probably way more than maybe what some of you believe you could accomplish, accomplish in your own life. But what if we handed our lives over to God and said, God, do something in our lives, do something in our church that we could not possibly point back to ourselves as having made it happen. Do something in our lives, do something in our church, that the result would be everyone around us would see you instead of seeing us. Do something that big. And so if if you're not that person that has that natural God-sized faith, and if you are, man, run with that. I mean, just just bleed that on people all around you and, and, and share as much of that faith as you can because, because we need people like you. <coughs> but if it doesn't come natural to you, I want to challenge you today to become this person that begins to live big faith, begins to live big faith. And when I say live big faith, what I'm actually saying is you've got to choose big faith. You have to decide from this point forward, I'm going to be a big faith person, which means I'm going to ask for it. Now, here's, here's where it gets tricky. Big faith living requires big faith requests from God. And what I've learned over over my years as a Christian, my years in the ministry, is that God shows up in big ways for people who ask God to show up in big ways. And if God is not showing up in big ways in your life, it very well may be because you have been a little too apprehensive to ask him. I think there's something in us that kind of says, if I ask this big thing of God, um, that that's kind of me presuming on God or or um, or or you're telling yourself, I don't want to ask and then be let down. I don't want But here, Here's the thing. God's going to do what God's going to do. All right. Everybody say that with me. God's going to do what God's going to do. He just is. He's absolutely going to do what he's going to do. So let's say you you, you you send out a big big God-sized request to our God. And God's answer to that thing is no, or not now, or, or whatever. What did you lose from that? What did you lose from that? You got an answer from God. <laughs> can, 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 I, can I just... There are so many times that we think that we never hear from God, and we miss all the times that we, that we did hear from God. It just wasn't what we wanted to hear from God. And can I, I've got to the point in my life that I can be just as excited about the no's as I can about the yeses, because I feel like God is communicating to me. I feel like he's leading me. He's guiding me. But what I've learned over the years, too, is that when I ask big, God-sized things, things that are bigger than I'm capable of, God, in his infinite wisdom, not my own wisdom, in his infinite wisdom, will occasionally say, yes, yes, this, is all, this fits into my plan, this is all part of what I'm trying to do here, yes, I'm going to show up in a big, 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 big way. And little things that I have started, little things that you have started uh, can, uh, can get, end up blossoming into something much bigger than what we ever thought. Guys, one of the reasons Jamie and I came to Living Hope Church, um, actually probably the main reason we came to Living Hope Church, <laughs> having grown up in the Bible Belt where, you know, when they say there's a church on every corner, it's, it's really not much of an exaggeration. And it always would drive me crazy. Um, it still still kind of does, and maybe it's just my own jacked up thinking, i got to get over it, but it would always drive me crazy. All the people who felt called to Start churches in places where there's churches on every corner. Like that, just that would just blow me away. Like, really, does this place need one more church? Uh, why don't you just get in a, involved in a church that's already there and make it healthy? You know that sort of thing. At least that's I don't, know, I don't want to second guess what, why people do what people do. But that's the kind of the thinking that I would have. And one of the reasons that we we're so drawn to Dixon is because it's a church, It's a town of you know eighteen thousand people or so with just a very small handful of very small churches. This, church is, this town is so widely unchurched. There's just this beautiful, to us, just beautiful mission field that God, we felt God was calling us to. And God has laid a burden on my heart for this town to see, and, some, and I know he's laid the same burden on, on many of your hearts as well, to see this town, not just get one more church, but to see this community transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean transformed. I don't know I don't know how you look at that kind of idea, but that is a god-sized idea. Can I be honest? We can build a decent-sized church all of our own all on, just just by the kind of natural talent pool that we have in our church, and kind of putting our minds together and working together and having a good attitude and trying to build something healthy on our own, we can build a decent sized church. I want God to do something God sized that can't be pointed back to us. I do. It's why we've been talking for the past year or so or more that we can't stay here in this physical location much longer that we need to get to a place to where God can do even, even, even bigger things and we can do even bigger types of ministry for God than we're capable of doing here on a rented facility once or twice a week, that sort of thing. It's why we, 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 we have done so many other things in the way that we reach out to this community. It's why, we, it's why our church is called Living Hope, because we want the same hope that lives in us to be shared with everybody around us. Everybody. We want to see this community completely transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Transformed in a way that it affects the way parents are raising their kids, the way citizens, uh, decisions are being made on, on, a, on a governmental level in this city, the way school is being taught, the way just, just on and on and on I could go on but to really and genuinely not just see one more church or even a good-sized, healthy church in this in this community, but a movement of God that transforms Dixon into something that it's never looked like before. That's, that's our heart for this city. That's our heart. As we kind of start off on this journey for over the next year or two that we're calling Project Hope, I want you all to kind of commit with me to this idea of <coughs> living out big faith and not just looking at our mission field here in Dixon as, you know, I wonder what we could do with it, but rather, God, I want to be a part of what it is you want to do with this community. And so stretch me in really big ways. Give me God-sized ideas for ways to reach out in this community. Pull me out of my comfort zones and and grow me as a person so that I can reach out more effectively to those around me that you've called me to. Help me to sacrifice more for what it is that you're doing here in this community through us, through our church, through the other churches in town. God, help me to really get on board with it. Help move my faith from something that looks more like a hobby in my life to something that is literally the center of my life. I don't want my faith, I don't want my church going, I don't want any of that to be a hobby anymore, God, but I want it to be the center of what I am and who well, who I am, and what you're doing in this town, God. I want I want it to be in the center of your will. And so, God, begin to expand my thinking and pull me in the directions that you are already moving. Give me dreams and visions that go along with what your dreams and visions are for this community so that this is what I think. I, again, we're not just kind of one big collective. I mean, that's kind of one way to look at a church, but, but we're also individuals within that collective. But if God's going to call you to things that he's not going to call me to, but you, the things that he calls you to are, are equally, if not more, valuable to what he's trying to do in this community. And when we are all following what God is calling us to do and we're doing it in a sense of community and we believe that God will show up and do God-sized things, God-sized things. That's how I want him um, to show up. I was talking to somebody the other day about (coughs) kind of a big life decision they were thinking about making. And um, there was a lot of talk of, I just don't think I'm ready for the step. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that I'm ready. And, and, and and my comment to them was don't live your life in such a way that it's, that it's fear-based. Some people used to tell Jamie and I, when we were, you know, early on in our marriage, they would say, you know, if you wait till, and you probably got the same advice, if you wait till the perfect, you know, all the conditions are right, wait for the perfect timing for you to have that baby that you want to have, you'll never have that baby because the conditions will never be perfect. And I would say the same thing is true of our God. One of the other gospels tells us as a part of the same story that, that when Jesus got close to the boat, that he beckoned Peter out of the boat and asked him to walk on the water with him. And Peter took a step out and for a moment stood on water and then took his eyes off of, off of Jesus, focused on the waves, became afraid, and sunk like a rock, Right? Peter could have seen Jesus walking on the water and heard him say, get out of the boat and come walk with me and said, you know what? Let's, let's wait a little, let's wait till these waves calm down a little bit. Um, you know, the wait till the boat's not rocking quite so much. I, I didn't bring my good, you know, waterproof shoes with me, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, let, let, let's do this. I, I want to do it. Don't get me wrong. I want to do that. This is, it's important to me. Like walking on the water with you, God is definitely on, you know, the top of my bucket list, God. And so so I will definitely, I'm, saying, I'm not saying no, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying that, that let's wait, let's just, you know, not ready yet. You, you can laugh at that, but I can't tell you how many of you I have had that same conversation with over and over and over about things you knew God was calling you to do. And you put it off until the conditions are perfect. I'm telling you, they're never going to be perfect for you to do a God sized thing, really, because it's not about you, it's about God. When God, I want us to be the type of people that when God calls us out of the boat, we step out of the boat because the time is right, because the, it's the time He called, rather than us trying to make sense of everything and wait until those perfect conditions. We have been called, you've heard me say this before, we have been called, we, us, have been called to this community, in this location, in this time, as the Bible says, for such a time as this. The time is right now. Whatever it is, whatever it is you have been feeling God calling you to do, whether it's a ministry idea, whether it's a service opportunity that you've felt burdened about, but you've kind of been putting off until those conditions become perfect, whether it's sacrificing at a new level <coughs> in terms of you know, maybe the way that you serve or the, the way that you give or whatever, whatever it is that God has been calling you to do, will you just today stop waiting for the situation to become perfect and just simply, instead of saying yes, but not now, would you just say yes? Would you just say yes? Just, just, just do it right now. And be that, let's be that church that when God calls us, can can I share something with you? Um, I'll close with this. This is such a great example. Uh, who who here knows Katie Roth? Anybody know Katie Roth in our church? There's a young lady in our church, Katie Roth. Several weeks ago, we had, um, one of our missionaries, uh, our our, our missionary that we support in Malaysia, the the Wisner's, visited us. And, um, uh, he shared the work that they were doing, that they're starting the school over there, and you know, that sort of thing, and that they were looking for teachers for that school. <coughs> uh, I found out a couple of weeks after that visit that Katie heard that message that there was a need for teachers over in Malaysia for that school. And uh, Katie basically said, okay, I'll go. Katie left yesterday for Malaysia. Can I tell you, to me, and, 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 and this I know this is, it'll come across as me making this story about me, and I know it's not about me. One of my favorite parts about this story is that Katie never sat me down as her pastor and asked, what should she do? Not once. Not once. She heard God call her, and she just said yes, and she bought a plane ticket, and she's in Malaysia right now. Not once did she sit down with me and say, eh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Is the timing right? What should I do? She just heard the voice of God and said, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. So for the next six or months, so, she's going to be teaching and, and sharing the gospel in Malaysia. That's one of us. That's, one, that's, not, that's not some story of outside of this. story. That's one of us. That's one of our own that did that. That, that blows me away. If one of us, one of our own, can respond to God in such, I mean, that's a big thing. Can we agree that just kind of packing up and leaving on a couple of weeks' notice to Malaysia for several months, that's a pretty big deal, right? Then, then how much more capable is God of doing all the things that maybe he's been calling you to? And some of, some of your, the things that he's been calling you to may feel bigger than that or may feel not even close to as big than that. And you've still been putting them off. And I want to say stop it now. Stop putting it off and just say Whatever, whenever, however, whatever it is you need me to do, I'll do it. Whether it's leading my family in a different way, whether it's being, you know, this thing in my community that, I, that you've been calling me to be, whether it's serving my church in a different way, whether, you know, what, I mean, there's a, a list of, of a billion things. I just did that. That was me. List of, list of a billion things list of a billion things that God could possibly be calling you to do, whatever it is. I can't tell you what it is. You know what it is, though. You've been putting it off. You've been waiting for those right conditions. I want to tell you, stop waiting and just get out of the stupid boat and start walking. Because we serve a big God. And you can raise your hand and say you believe we serve a big God. But if you're not actively living big faith and serving a big God, if you're not actively daring the devil Because the devil is daring you, I guarantee you. The devil's coming to you over and over and over saying, no, the timing's not right. No, you can't do that. No, that's ridiculous. Your family won't understand, whatever. You you, you don't think a thousand of those voices came to Katie over the last few weeks and told her every single one of those things? I guarantee you they did. But Katie and, and the rest of us can look back in the whatever it is that the enemy is telling us and say, no you got to stop daring me. I'm going to dare you. Watch what happens when I do this. Watch what happens when I serve the God that I serve. I want us to be that big faith church. Does anybody else want us to be that big faith church? That's exactly what I want us to be. I want us to be that big faith church. You want us to be that. This community is waiting for us to be that big faith church. They are hungry to see a church do something more than a whatever, quilting bazaar, bingo game. They are hungry to see a church that will actually put their faith where they say their beliefs are and live out some big faith for them to see. That's what our community is hungry for. So let's be that, let's be that. Let's this year, let this be the year that we put small faith behind us, that we put safe faith behind us. And we live out what we've been saying in this church for years, which is when it comes to Jesus, playing it safe is risky. Playing it, We're not going to play it safe anymore. When God calls me to do something big, I'm just going to say yes, not because I believe I can do it, but because I can believe in the one who called me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word is, is, is good to us, and we thank you for um, sending your son not only to do what we talked about earlier when we were remembering during communion and dying for us and things like that. But living a life as an example for us that demonstrated the kind of big faith that we're talking about, God, we want to be that. We want to see you move in big ways, God. We're not. We will not presume. <coughs> we will not presume on your will, and and uh, and become fickle and upset every single time we get a, a no instead of a yes. But God, we will continue to ask for God-sized things to happen in our lives individually, in our church collectively, in our community here, in the way we reach out to this world. We will continue to ask for God-sized things because we believe that to live faith in such a safe way is actually an insult to you. Grow our faith, God grow our faith. Help us to believe in you for big, big, big things. We love you. We thank you so much for your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.